Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited as I always am to be on with my guest today, a good friend of mine, Mr. Patrick Doyle. How you doing, Pat? Doing well, yourself? I'm really good, man. I'm excited to have uh, you and I have had some conversations. I've had the privilege of you know being alongside and you know understanding a little bit of this journey that you've been on over since you and I met even last over the last couple of years. But let's just start from the top. You're CEO at Scarlet Security and Risk Group, affectionately referred to SSRG. So let's jump in the pitch elevator. What is SSRG all about? What role do you guys play in the world? What do you do? And uh, we'll start from there. Sure. So SSRG um, is Scarlet Security and Risk Group, as, as you noted. Uh, we really focus on large enterprise industrial type contracts. Um, there's usually a level of complexity. Uh, we integrate technology. Uh, we have a risk division where you know, we do close protection, investigations, due diligence, even intelligence scattering. We have some very, very you know, senior people uh, on both sides of the business. And um, we, there's, you know, the, the industry so large, we really focused on, you know, the complex major enterprise type contracts. Okay. And um, that, that's really our focus. And how long you guys been around? You, like, this is, a, this is a longstanding organization. Obviously we'll get into your role and some of the growth that you've been on, but you guys have been in, the, in this game for a while. Mm-hmm. That's right. We, we, we started, you know, 15 plus years back in Northern Canada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we really seen an opportunity in the market um, to bring in a bit of a different service offering, kind of a professionalism, um, really focus the company to work with both government and industry mm-hmm. and really set quality management standards, health and safety standards. Um, we, we took a very collaborative and, and mutually beneficial approach with Indigenous and Inuit in okay. both Nunavut and NWT, um, signed long-term partnerships where, you know, we split profits. Uh, we both have equities in, in the entities. And then, of course, there's a lot of capacity training and employment. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of did that before anyone, certainly in the security industry, 
we're really looking to do that. And when, you know, we, we kind of hit a critical mass, we realized we kind of had something special um, with a lot of the large industrial companies we work with. Uh, that, you know, really commented on the level, um, the type of service we were providing. Uh, we decided to, to you know, expand and, and grow out to other parts of Canada. So you got to have your roots up, roots up in the north. And I really like what you said about partnering and like being part of the community and part of the Indigenous and Inuit communities up there. I'm curious, just a random question on my own, my own curiosity. How much does the role as technology play? Like you talked about taking a very professional and kind of raising the bar and the caliber of what you're doing. You mentioned health and safety. Has technology played a big part of that over the years as every business gets, you know, either accelerated or sometimes, you know, left hooked from technology? How much has that played a big a part in the, in, the, in the world that you guys live in? So we're, we're very use case driven with our clients. If, if we see an opportunity that you know we're vetting the technology for them we'll we'll look at multiple options you know we're agnostic we'll come give an we'll we'll come give them pros and cons and then you know we'll we'll tell a client hey we don't think you need as big a footprint of guards in this area like this is a technology that we've used elsewhere we can integrate mm -hmm. it here okay. uh even though that's our footprint we're reducing um that collaborative kind of partnership rather than client um, you know, client contractor, uh, relationship, hmm. you know, it's really, you know, we're very sticky and, and, and looking at the long term with our clients, we're, we're in the room solving problems. I appreciate that. Is that often where technology does play in your industry where it's a direct correlation to reducing manpower? Like you said, use the word footprint, but we need less people on site because technology can monitor in, in just more advanced ways with better data collected than we could 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, there. That's definitely a true statement, but um, it 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 doesn't have the impact that people would think. Certainly, in remote, okay. like you know, more remote, low risk kind of environments, you know, technology can play a much much larger role. Mm -hmm. You know, a large industrial environment, you're going to need like the health and safety and investigation, the quality and care, um, the due diligence. You're going to need access control. You're going to need mobile. So it's, you know, it's, 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 we certainly uh, use more and more technology and integrate more and more technology. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, really seeing your workforce that are well-trained and, you know, a part of the team on the site is, is uh, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Okay. I, I appreciate Yes. I, it's augmenting, but it's not replacing flat out the, the, the risk of uh, the, the risk of the demise of the, of, of the job is grossly overstated sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's like when the banks were going to go paperless. Yeah, yeah, to 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 totally. Yes. <laughs> we, we, it's all going to be different. No, no it's going to be different in, in some ways, which I do. I do appreciate that. But we really like to oversell the tech piece. Well, not anyways, this isn't about the tech piece. It's about, it's about growth and it's about a strategic plan. And what I've really enjoyed getting to know you and kind of watching the path you've been on from when we first met to even like, hey, we're going to grow and we're going to look at a few different avenues. We're going to look at you know, do we do, do we go venture? Do we go debt financing? What do we do? So maybe share a little bit with your audience. This is, this is in the midst of happening, even as we're recording this episode, but you decided to go on a growth path and you, and you need some funding and you need some new partners to kind of shift the, the ground under your feet. Talk to us a little bit about kind of where you're headed and then let's get into the nuts and bolts of how you put this deal together. Sure. So we actually, you know, we've, we've had tremendous growth the last consistently, you know, four or five years. Uh, and we're in a really strong position. Uh, we did a substantial acquisition um, just back in February of Lionsgate Risk Management Group, 
um, really senior team, really, really high level, kind of what a lot of the white collar side of the industry. And, okay. Personal protection, um, uh, forensic auditing, that kind of, that kind of stuff where you get into the uh, real nitty gritty of it. Mm. Fin- financial fraud investigations, close protection, risk. We have, you know, a PhD, former police service uh, doing intelligence scattering. You know, mm. we have we have a very senior team and a very senior offering. And uh, it, it was a very strategic uh, roll up for us. Okay. Mm. So that was just in February while you were still maneuvering around what kind of this bigger play was going to be. Mm-hmm. That, that's right. We, we, you know, I have a business, I'm the majority owner, but I have a, a minority business partner and he's uh, invested in the tech sector and running a, a company. We had agreed to kind of go to market and, uh, and for him to look at an exit. Okay. Um, we ran a process with MMP. They came in and, and did a bit of a deep dive and um, you know, gave us an evaluation and we went to private equity. So okay. I, I think we reached out to like nine groups in particular. We had ongoing conversations when I believe we, we, we received eight offers and uh, we would have received nine, but one, they kind of verbally gave us where they were and we kind of told them where the other companies were sitting <laughs> in terms of value. Saved everybody and, some, saved everybody some time. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. <laughs> out of those, uh, out of the nine that you went to, kind of just thinking geographically, was that Canada? Was there? Did you go south of the border? Who was? Who was kind of at the table? Or who was in those initial conversations? We had a couple of conversations with uh, U.S. Um, private equity. We mostly focused in Canada, okay. and it was really Alberta, BC, and Ontario were really the the majority of the groups. Mm. Curious, just your own, you know, a bit qualitative here. What was the vibe between some of the the private equity that you were talking with? Was there a difference? Like, could you put a blindfold on and say, oh, that was an Alberta conversation versus an Ontario conversation? Like, what was the nuance or or, or was there or was it more ubiquitous than that? It was more ubiquitous. The, we met a couple of really good groups that I quite liked and and thought, if I go this route, uh, you know, I could, I could work with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um you know, obviously, essentially, we, we decided we we had very we had eight, you know, very attractive offers. Um, and then uh, myself and a, an Alberta investor, well-known M&A and an investor in Alberta, Stephen Reed, uh, we decided to go a bit of a different route. And uh, we kind of looked at non-dilutive capital. Um, so we kind of he, he came in as an investor and now a shareholder and board member. Uh, which, you know, closes, you know, Monday. And um, then we refinanced and brought in a, you know, some real substantial patient money uh, to go out and, and really be able to go out and, and uh, hit the market and, and acquire, you know, substantial companies. Um, um, we're really looking um for kind of quality you know savvy regional operators you know they're probably you know um known as the go-to provider in the region um probably kind of stick to their knitting just do a really good job probably don't spend a lot of time worrying about patient capital or ebit and um you know we're we're trying to be an accelerator have them roll some ca- have them roll some equity and and really try to kind of win together. 
I appreciate it. So I still want to, I want to back up a little bit around the private equity piece that eventually ended up landing with, you know, working with Stephen Reed and, and going to the non-dilutive. But when you're, because again, you and I have had these conversations, so I have the privilege of, you weren't looking to exit the business. You had a minority partner that was, you were looking for a growth partner. And I think that's really critical. And like for anyone listening about, hey, we're going to go to market and raise some funds. I've always often heard the money, quote unquote, is the easy part. It's the right partner and the right fit, really making sure. So for you, did you have a clear criteria? Was that more of a gut feel? Like just thinking about, you know, say everybody came to the table with a great offer. Like, oh, wow, I can really get stars in your eyes with the money. But this was a growth play where you, you yourself, I know we're looking to double down on the business and go on to like, we're going to build this thing, not, hey, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Those are two, from what I've certainly experienced in conversations I've had, those are two very different mandates. There's some in between, but let's just use those for black and white. Uh, absolutely. If I was uh, exiting fully and just staying maybe on as, as the CEO, but, but selling my equity, the private equity was very attractive because, uh, you know, they did most groups did land a bit higher than even we thought it would be. So, okay. you know, it was definitely uh, shiny. <laughs> um, <laughs> I bet it was. Yeah. For myself, um, you know, I really think where, you know, we've got a lot of runway, we've got pretty ambitious growth plans, both organically and, and through uh, M&A. Um, so I, I really wanted the, the, the issue for me with private equity, I'm a 51% owner currently. So for me to give up any equity, I'm really getting down to that 30, 25 percent. And because they, you know, private equity only buys majority stakes. And um, so, you know, to have any type of, of uh, liquidity event on my side and, and let the other partner exit, you know, I, I would have went down to uh, an ownership I wasn't quite comfortable with. Mm, gets a little bit close to the bone, you might, you might want to say. <laughs> uh, you used uh, absolutely. The term Go ahead. <clears throat> no, sorry. I was going to say I actually did the opposite. So I'm, I actually, in this deal, uh, I literally doubled down and I'm increasing uh, to, you know, high 60s uh, ownership. Nice. I appreciate it. Which tells a very different story of kind of where you are to yourself in relation to the business. You use the word, and I love the term, and it's come up in a few other shows, patient capital or the need sometimes for more patient capital in Alberta or even kind of in our, in our ecosystem. With the private equity you're talking, is that sometimes the risk? Because often, you know, easily you hear the stereotype, three to five year exits, we're going to build it, we're going to sell it, we're in, we're out. That's that's their business model and no fault, like no fault, but it doesn't usually have a patient kind of tone to it. Was that also out of those eight that, you know, had respectable offers on the table, were they also really clear with their timelines and maybe did the word patient maybe not show up as much? Uh, for sure. I mean, you know, everyone knows as a, a founder or enterpriser that you've built a really good solid business to make them interested. Um, you know, they 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 want to, you know, give the, oh, we can have a bit of a longer view, but, you know, they have an ROI, they, you know, they're, they have a structured fund, they have to, to return to investors. So, yeah. you know, you just general private equity, you know, they need to exit within a certain period of time unless it's a tremendous growth story and, you know, maybe they'll have a longer hold. Um, but, but that's pretty rare. Uh, curious, uh, were any of them really different or were they, did they all just say they were different? <laughs> well, I, I, that's we're not going to name names. We're not going to name names. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I, every, every, every group said they're not the typical private equity. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty standard. 
so from your being on the founder side and the guy who's out there like hustling it, what would make them not this, what, what would actually make them unique? Like what would have to have happened or from your experience? And I know that you're not new to this world when someone says, Oh, we're not like the others, you know, even maybe your own advice or crystal ball kind of out there, how we make the world a better place when it comes to equity uh, financing, what would actually make it different? Is it speed? Is it like willingness to play ball? Like what would be some of the characteristics if we were going to design out, you know, an equity model that maybe is a little bit found, more found, more founder friendly. All my equity friends are going to be like and sending me hate mail now, but anyway, this is all good. <laughs> yeah. There's been a couple of, of firms, actually Stephen Reed found the one, uh, that was very founder focused, uh, had a longer uh, view, like they were able to do a longer hold. They might have had a not proportional uh, share of growth going to the founder. And, you know, all those things are attractive. I've seen bits of that in some of the current groups, uh, but, but not to the same level. And, and certainly not sort of, a, you know, a really longer hold view. Right. Okay. Any... Anything you, how's your crystal ball where, you know, clearly you can't turn on the news today without, obviously we're all being barred by the inflation word. We're being like, you know, tech, tech companies being like, maybe I wouldn't say devalued, but maybe properly valued depending on who you talk to and the big R word floating around aggressively. How is the money supply out there? Like what's your kind of read on the conversations, even when you first started having them to even in the last month or two? Uh, deal flow is pretty good right now, I think. And, and, you know, I mean, I think especially coming out of COVID, there's a lot of pent up capital. Right. And so, you know, if you have, you know, strong, you know, like proven long-term EBIT, um, sticky, you know, like long-term contracts, you know, good renewal rates, uh, that's a very attractive model for private equity. And, and one of the reasons we got so much attention, sticky business with proven results over the long term, uh, it's pretty sought after right now. Is that a bit of the DNA of the secure of the security business is having those longer term? Like I'm assuming if I'm a large, you know, a government entity or a large enterprise changing out my security and all the protocols that go with that on a yearly or even every two, three years, like it wouldn't just, it doesn't sound like that would be an efficient way to do it, which would lead to a longer term client retention. Certainly. And, and you normally see like there's pockets, like regional pockets where there's good long-term providers. And, and, you know, we were one of those, in, a, in Northern Canada. And there's lots more out there that, you know, we want to hopefully acquire and, and make a part of the group. But um, yeah, the, we definitely had various entry geographically. Uh, you know, we had indigenous partnerships. So we had, you know, a different level of access there. And, and um, we had, uh, you know, a, a lot of these projects in remote small areas, we had a critical mass. We have really senior trained uh, professionals that you're just not going to see up there, uh, you know, if, if, you know, someone starts a local company. So uh, it, it certainly makes it a bit prohibitive to, to change out. Yeah, which which makes sense. You, you hinted at it earlier, is this, you know, for your senior, like, do you guys attract a lot of ex-law enforcement and people that are, you know, potentially started in that game early and now are pensioned out at, at a relatively early age in terms of their ability to, to still want to work and kind of participate? Uh, absolutely. Um, we, right from the beginning, as soon as we got into sort of mining, industrial, uh, exploration projects, uh, we brought in a lot of ex-law enforcement and, and some ex-military uh, we really catered uh, to, you know, that professionalism and, you know, the the, the level of dealing with people, de-escalating, um, you know, incident management, 
and crisis management. Uh, you know, you, you're just not going to get a better level of that. And, and, and we tended to hire a lot of ex RCMP that spent a lot of time in remote small communities. You know, you're policing a small community and you're going to see the person you arrested on Friday at the grocery store on Wednesday. And, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you tend to have a much better, uh, you know, easygoing approach, like enforce the rules and, and you know, uh, make sure um, the, the site is uh, operating safely, but, with, you know, not a heavy hand approach. Maybe I, I couldn't bedside a good bedside manner is what's really is jumping out of my head as I'm hearing you talk because you're you're right we've uh, we've all watched too many movies of the the bad cop in the small town that doesn't sooner sooner or later gets ganged up on uh, as, as Hollywood likes 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 to portray and hey I'm gonna geek out for a second before we before we spin back onto the non dilutive side and kind of where you landed you guys you have a team that manages the ice road which I think a lot of people know just from TV back to back to popular so many things we learn about through popular media how long is your team just give us a little bit about the the dynamics of, of uh, I don't want to say the word policing, but providing security and managing uh, an asset like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting, very interesting project. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very long, you know, uh, large ice road built every year. I mean, it's the safest road in Canada. Um, uh, despite what, uh, you know, the, the ice road truckers, uh, <laughs> <to> <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's heavily regulated. Uh, it's radared, you know, weights are, are set at, at, you know, the minimum of any spot of the road for the day. And, you know, they're, they, they're, it, but it's a restock of three diamond mines. So it's a very critical project that, you know, they're, they're the lifeblood of, you know, a huge part of GDP for the territories. And those three diamond mines, you know, would not, you know, they probably wouldn't um, be feasible if you had to fly fuel and other supplies um, to, to operate. It always comes down to transportation logistics. Like what's it cost to get X part to X place or X, X series of supplies? How long is the ice road or how long do you guys, do you guys police? Or I don't use the word police. That's incorrect. Do you guys apply security on the whole ice road? Mm -hmm. uh, we, well, Yes, uh, on the JVMC road, uh, we we supply security on the full road. We also do some other spur roads with, with okay. other companies. Um, and the road, it, it depends where the projects are. So it it goes, you know, all the way to the mines from Yellowknife, and so that's that's quite a long uh, road. And and there are years when there's um, things happening up farther, and even on the border of Nunavut, that we've actually the road's gone all the way up and crossed the border of Nunavut. From Yellowknife. Wow. Interesting. That's such a just so many things that if that's not your world, you really have no connection to, except for maybe some over dramatized TV show. <laughs> uh, cool. Thanks for letting me geek out on that. I remember the first time we met, you you brought up the ice road. It's a great way to go. Oh, lean in. Tell tell me more about this thing that you guys do. Uh, non dilutive capital. You decided to move in a different direction. You were in the process of of chatting with private equity. All of a sudden, you know, I think sounds like you, uh, was this a relationship? You had? Sorry, Stephen Reed. I haven't met Stephen. This is someone you knew, or that someone you met throughout the process. It was actually someone I met through the process. Okay, interesting. And did he? Did you guys have a conversation and say, "Hey, have you ever considered like maybe there's another there's another option here"? I'm just, just always curious to that moment where this is the path we're going down. Of like, well, wait, whoa, this is not the path we're going down. We're actually going to go in a different path. Which sometimes that's hard. You know, deals get momentum and they start to pull themselves along. <laughs> uh, totally, and and deal fatigue is a very real thing. Um, <laughs> and so after going through that process and then switching gears, it was kind of 
you know, it was a bit of a gut check of, oh, we're kind of starting over. Um, But thankfully, you know, we certainly already had the data room and the materials and the modeling. And, you know, we have very, very senior accounting team. uh, So we were kind of ready to to move quickly. Um, But, um, yeah, I I met Stephen Reed in the process. He, He made an offer with a private equity group from Toronto he's done some other investments with. Okay. And they were among the top. And when I met him, I kind of, I was, you know, we, we just clicked right away. We talked about business. We talked about M&A. Uh, we talked about, you know, the, the opportunity and, you know, culture uh, and, and fit. And um, I kind of was certainly leaning their way. And then uh, once we, him and I got to know each other more, I think we realized, hey, let's look at, you know, a more, Let's look at some patient money, which he, he certainly had a lot of experience with over, you okay. know, 20 plus years in M&A. Um, well, actually more than that, he was probably doing M&A in the, in the mid nineties. Um, and so uh, we decided to, you know, to go to non-dilutive route and it, it's really worked out well. How was that conversation? Like how many partners or how many conversations did you have to have like versus putting it out to market? Boom, nine people, eight came back with offers when you're getting, cause now you're dealing with institutional money. I'm assuming like, was it a similar, did, was there, a, a, I don't want to say it this way cause it diminishes it, but a bit more of a cattle call or was like, no, these are actually the two perfect partners that like these types of deals. We're just going to go talk to them. Like, how did it, how did it differ? Um, yeah, I mean, we probably went to, uh, five, six known, uh, kind of, uh, you know, we, it's easy to go get sub debt or mess or it's very mm-hmm. expensive. Um, so we wanted to look at not the traditional, um, you know, normal, um, term loan, uh, okay. a bit more patient, longer, you know, longer am maybe, maybe, uh, you know, um, you know, some, some room on, on covenants and other things for acquisitions and, and roll ups okay. and, and, you know, being a being a grow company, you don't want to just manage day to day and worry about your covenances and and so yeah, yeah. you know you need a measuring stick, but you need a little room. So um, <laughs> we 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 got some really good interest and some good offers, and and we actually went with uh, Canadian Western Bank. Okay, interesting. And how much you know due diligence was around just the old like okay, so we're going to give you a pile of money. What are you going to do with it? Like how clear and how much foresight did you have to give them? You know, thinking about the old days when I borrowed my first hundred grand to start a business, it was a pretty detailed plan. Like I, you know, I, they, they put me through a ringer for good reason, but is that the same or did that shift or what was that like kind of at the level you're playing at? Uh, yeah. I mean, you usually do pretty detailed uses and sources. And so we had undertaken that exercise together, Stephen and I, before we even talked to the bank. Uh, we did some planning. We talked about we knew roughly the valuation that you know my current business partner would would probably be expecting, um, and so you know we we you know we kind of worked back from there. Uh, we, we're totally refinancing. We're, we're we're totally restructuring the capital stack of the company, and and you know we're kind of be really well positioned to go out and and you know uh, acquire. So not getting into the dollars and cents, but obviously you brought in X amount. We'll say, we'll say the, 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 the whole piece is coming in. Obviously there's a, there's some money going out the table to exit your current partner, which is, well, he's, that's, he's moving on to his things and you're doing on your things. What percentage of the money is left over for purely now moving into growing the business and primarily from what I hear an acquisition strategy, like how did the percentages kind of net out? 
Yeah, I, we, 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 we certainly left ourselves a lot of dry powder. We actually work with Canadian Western and, and we structured sort of a guaranteed um, like mechanism and, and measuring stick of how we look at companies, how we finance them, how much they'll mm. put in, how much we need to put down. So we, we have a lot of certainty around closing deals, which is important. Um, you know, I, as a as a business owner, one of the things I'd want to know if I was exiting, you know, was likelihood of financing and close. And mm-hmm. so we're 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 able to tick that box right up front and uh, and and get you know get to the good stuff. So thinking about that and thinking about kind of okay, it's now tomorrow or it's now two days from now, and you're like, okay, we're landed, we're going forward, we're looking at acquisition. You and I have talked a little bit about you know kind of culture and stage of those businesses and also geography. Like kind of what's your list or give us a little bit of the kind of your scorecard when you're going to start to look out there across this great nation of ours and go, okay, who are my targets? Who do I want to talk to? Who wants to talk to me? What are some of the things you're looking for? One, and what will soon, what could future be your partner and someone that you're in business with, but also the nuts and bolts of maybe even some of the financial benchmarks or kind of goalposts that need to be there for it even to go past a, a first date? Sure. Um, so we're, you know, we're certainly just a, in terms of the type of companies we're interested in, we we are really looking for those sort of savvy regional operators, yeah. um, you know, m- maybe not a lot of succession planning at this point, looking, looking to maybe have, you know, a significant liquidity event, uh, but cares about where their people go, cares about who's delivering the service to their clients after. Um, maybe interested in rolling a significant chunk of equity and, and, you know, certainly the, the type of, uh, size we are now and certainly will be, uh, in, in the future demands, you know, much higher multiples. And so, you know, we kind of can use, um, our growth structure and our, our valuation as, as uh, currency. Of, well, it gets uh, a, it, ultimately in a perfect world, it's a baked in lift, right? <laughs> that's right. And, and, and hopefully very significant. Yeah, that's interesting. So is there a headcount? Is there a size? Because I'm assuming you, you made the comment earlier about there are some barriers to this. It's hard to just be like, hey, I'm starting up a security company tomorrow. Like that's not an easy lift, which I love it because that builds a moat almost, you know, automatically around the space. Is there a certain size that, you know, and, and one size and curious, is this, is this what's happening in this space? Like, is your industry on a consolidation track right now also? It, well, it, it went through a big consolidation track a number of years back. Okay. Uh, it's certainly still on one. Hmm. Um, but there, there's a, there's a lot of quality, like uh, sort of high end of security, even of high end of guarding risk technology that uh you know did not exit in in that kind of big roll up uh with okay. the you know the allies and guarders and 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 those guys who who you know did a, a very good job and uh and are quite large um paladin uh is is a you know a canadian one that um any anytime you have success people will have a lot of things to say but uh um, you know, they, 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 did <laughs> yes, they do imp- Patrick. Yes, they do. <laughs> uh, absolutely. But it's hard to, it's hard to argue results. I mean, Ashley's done a very good job over there building a real profitable, large, um, delivery and, and good solutions. So, you know, there, there's some good guys in, in, in Canada and, and international guys that are certainly, if you're just looking the exit, you know, there's a good chance they'll probably be the buyer. Uh, okay. for us, we're really looking for like the tight quality of operations, culture fit, 
um, alignment after close on, on what you want to achieve and, and, you know, what we can build together. And um, so, I, you know, we're really looking for those kind of quality regional operators and, uh, and hoping to, you know, become the, you know, the firm of choice in Canada uh, for an enterpriser that wants, you know, part liquidation, uh, but to keep running his business and, and, and continue to help grow it. From a perspective of, I've got a customer now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a savvy regional player, I, I meet your criteria, but I'm only providing X set of services. And you even talked about some of the, the digital side and the forensic side. And if I'm, a, if I'm a customer, do I also want, do I want multiple vendors or do I, would I be excited if all of a sudden my player said, oh, by the way, we've just been part of this group and look at all the other services they now have to offer. That feels like I'm already de-risking a little bit because that's already my partner. Is that an opportunity in your space where the kind of the share of the wallet or the share of, you know, uh, the share of garage or whatever business you're in, there's always that philosophy. Is that, does that hold true in the security business? It, it does. And okay. I, I mean, certainly a lot of contracts almost require it. Like they, when oh, they go out, there, there's a lot of uh, larger enterprise type contracts that have very senior corporate security people that are looking for that level of, 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 um, you know, integrated enterprise type solution. And, uh, and, you know, there's only a couple of us doing it. I mentioned one earlier and they're, they've grown a lot, but, uh, but, you know, to, to bring in, you know, the technology risk, um, and obviously, you know, guarding at sort of any volume. I mean, I, I remember having, you know, a couple of employees and, you know, growing from there, to now, you know, we can, we'll have a contract with a hundred plus people and we can start it in a pretty short turnaround. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, it, we're certainly, it's certainly a move in the market to have that type of uh, professionalism uh, in, in the industry and, and to have that type of like higher level consultant partner type approach to like large enterprise contracts. To be able to come in and almost assess and understand what it, the next step might look like versus actually, okay, we need to action it. We need to have boots on the ground tomorrow, being able that, to do it at kind of every chain. Hmm. That's right. Is it uh, geography, geographically based, uh, you know, north or south of the border? So, you know, do, do big U.S., like you mentioned, Paladin, being Canadian, Garda, Allied. Again, from the outside, those are names you recognize. I just don't have any idea of their business structures. Is there a, a natural divide between the Canada, Canada and U.S.? Or is there the bigger companies tread both sides and then you've just got the regionality that you've already talked about? Yeah, there, there's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of Canadian players and a lot of U.S. players. All of the big guys sort <laughs> of do, you know, are in both places. Um, you know, I mean, you know, there's 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 companies uh, doing very significant work in the U.S. Paladin's grown a lot there. Uh, Allied, who bought G4S, obviously has a big presence in Canada now, but you know, they're, they're, they certainly uh, grew and become a major, major international player from, you know, their growth in the U.S. Um, so there, there's a lot of players that, you know, Garter, Garter certainly plays in both places. So, you know, all the major guys would play in Canada and the U.S. Okay, um, which, which, which kind of makes sense. But again, didn't want, didn't want to assume. So curious, just from anyone listening who's kind of hung in for, the, for, for this and like is into the details, advice or thoughts if you went back a year ago and, and you know, uh, classic, well, if today Patrick could talk to you a year ago, Patrick, as you were embarking on this deal, any, any advice or any kind of watch outs or, you know, landmines or, or, do, or do difference? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If, 
you know, if you're in a place where you just really want to grow and you want that major, major money behind you, private equity is, a, you know, certainly a good option. And then, and particularly if you want a large liquidity event and, and, uh, and then the grow to business, it's, you know, I met some really good groups that I would, I would have worked with if it was the right time to make that type of move for me. Um, one of the pitfalls, which I, I, I didn't get into, but I went through years ago when I was much smaller is, you know, we, we went through a process with a private equity group. We got very far down the line. You know, we were probably too small to even, mm, you know, meet okay. their criteria, but they liked our team and they really liked our company, liked the space. And I think they looked at us to maybe come in and, and run a larger company that maybe they'd acquire. And because we had a young, aggressive team. Um, but it, it really, the process took a long time. Um, you know, I didn't have the team I have now, certainly on the accounting side and, and even generally in the management. So, you know, it probably set us back a year of just mm -hmm. being distracted and then the deal didn't happen. Um, and, you know, um, so it's, uh, you know, you can really get distracted in a process. For yourself on this one, obviously not your first rodeo, so that helps, and also having a good team. But you know, out of your week being a hundred hours, we'll just say it. We'll just say it is because I know I know you spend a lot of time. What percentage of your of your time is 30, 20, 40? Like what? How much has been a lot of this if you look back over the last six eight months? So I probably put a little more time into this process um, if if I wasn't so involved in the finances. But you know, essentially, it's it's be in the conversations with the bank and with investors. So. You really got to be comfortable on on where you are and and what you're representing. So, um, you know, I probably put in a little more time than I needed, uh, but uh, but it certainly didn't distract us. It certainly didn't set us back. Uh, we bought, you know, we bought a company. I'm about to close another one uh, during this process. So we'll have we'll have closed basically two companies during the process. Uh, there's a third we might engage with. Um, so. You know, we we kept growing. We've grown organically during you know the last year, the last you know several months. Uh, so we're still we're still bidding contracts. We're growing. We're you know things are moving. Uh, but you know, I, I certainly have a much broader, larger, and and uh, 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 you know more senior team. Right, which makes a huge difference. Thinking about that, thinking about just the core competency concept, because the core competency to run a business effectively in whatever trade or whatever profession you choose is very different than the core competency of growth through acquisition. You know, thinking about that as a founder, a lot of times I think people maybe, my experience just talking to people, they get into it not really realizing how much weight is not being put on. Do you even have these set of skills? And you know, even said like knowing the numbers yourself and being in there and being like, no, no, I don't have to call the accountant. I can answer the question because I know my numbers. That's a very powerful position to be in, even when you're dealing with some of the, these savvy, savvy, you know, operators, how much is that a factor for you? Or maybe even just a, a watch out for people going in? Like it's a new set of skills, kids. You need to like be good at it or else it'll kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, well, if, if we're acquiring them, we, we will bring that to the table for them. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is an interesting podcast because we're kind of giving advice to the people you're also going to be now talking to in a couple of weeks. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, no, the things you don't know can 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 trip you up, I guess maybe is the sub-lesson of all of, of all of that. No. Uh, Patrick, I really appreciate you coming on and just your willingness to kind of talk about the journey and kind of walk people through. I think it's so easy if you don't have a chance to operate and go through deals like these, it, it's hard to go take a class on it, right? <laughs> you kind of have to do it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. 
how much for you over the years has, you know, running into guys, even like, you know, mentioned Steve Reed, been doing this since the nineties, like having those mentors or those people in your life that can kind of maybe point out the landmines. How much has that been a critical, you know, I know you're a quick study, but I also know so you surround yourself with smart people. How much has that been a factor for you? Uh, a huge factor. And, and, you know, at a, at a certain age, I probably didn't appreciate it. And then, you know, you're bump, <laughs> Say it's you bump, not you, so Patrick. <laughs> yeah. 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 You bump your head a few times uh, and get ahead of your skis and, and you'll learn quickly. But, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some really senior people, but even on consulting um, before um, besides this company and um, you know, my, my team now, I like, I would honestly put them up against any, firm out there. I mean, if you look at our, um, you know, our whole executive and management team, you know, we have absolute professionals that, uh, you know, every time I'm on a call, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm like, wow, they're way better than I was when I was doing this part of the business. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's so, an amazing feeling, isn't it? Right there. That yeah, sense of pride. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll just and keep so, my mouth shut because you guys are doing way better than me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is which is so critical. Well, Patrick, everybody, again, thanks for your honesty. Thanks for coming on the show, being you know willing to pull back the curtain a little bit and give people a chance to kind of kind of look inside. So, congratulations on the organization you built, and really excited to have you back on a year from now, so you can talk about the you know what I won't even pick a number, but the acquisitions you've made and the kind of success you guys have had. So, um, SSRG.C.com. Sorry, pulling it up right now. SSRG.ca. Check out your website if anybody's looking for more information and. If anybody's just dying to talk to you uh, and 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 talk about what the future could look like, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm, I'm, my email is patrick at ssrg.ca. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have an open door. Um, I'm, I'm Our press release that will be sent out uh, next week. I've got my, my personal cell number on it. That's for, awesome. I love it. I love when people put, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't say you're putting yourself out there if you're not actually willing to put yourself out there. <laughs> no, yeah. I appreciate it. And I, I encourage people to, uh, to give you a call and have a conversation, but thanks for the show. And thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs>